This is Amateur Logic, episode 167, for March 15th, 2022. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in amateur radio accessories. And by ICOM. Spring is just around the corner, and the radio that's perfect for working your favorite bands inside the shack and out is ICOM's new, now shipping, ID52A handheld. Good evening, welcome to another exciting episode of AmateurLogic.tv. I'm George. I'm Mike. I'm Emil. And I'm Tom. As you can tell, uh, Tommy, um, our usual co-host here in 5 zno is not with us tonight. It's his son's birthday. So he took the night off and just so happened to work out that uh, Tom had a video that uh, we were going to show tonight and... He was able to join us live here. So, Tom, thanks for being with us tonight. Let's just go around real quick uh, to the top of the stack up there. Mike, wherever you are, what's going on up in your direction? Well, it feels like uh, springs uh, might be on its way. I don't want to jinx myself or anything, but um, uh, temperatures have been above freezing lately, which is unusual. And uh, snow's been melting, and we actually had a little bit of rain today. So, um, looking forward to uh, <laughs> to being able to do stuff outside again. Oh, we've had plenty of rain down here, and more coming. Uh, what would you say, Mel? How are things down there in your country? Yeah, it's getting uh, pretty moderate and having some good days. Some rain uh, rolled through last night, so. Uh, the, the HF bands were nice and noisy and staticky, but uh, we we made it and we're starting to come out of our uh, shells and in houses and and go out and uh, getting and get in the real world, playing some golf, doing some other stuff outside for a change. It's been nice actually. I can't wait to go to Hamfest and stuff. Cool. Yeah, I'm. Uh... I'm looking forward to getting to Dayton. I think that's going to be my next ham fest here. I've already made some of the arrangements. I just need to make the rest of them. And Tom, how have things been over there with you? They've been good. Our weather's getting to the point where it's teasing. We've had uh, beautiful weather here last week, and yesterday it was in the 70s, and today it's 40 degrees and raining. So, Wow. It's still, uh, the winter's still trying to hang on every little bit that it can. And, you know, whatever happens to you out there seems to end up happening to us maybe uh, a few days later. It seems to always come from yep. that direction. I don't think <laughs> it's going to... it your way. Yeah. I don't think it's going to get quite down to the 40s here, but it's going to be a little bit cooler tomorrow. Looking down the rundown here tonight, well, our first email... 
and it's not an email. It is a post. And looks like I've got this one marked down as coming from Tamil. Tamil? Tamil, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm the, the slacker. I'm the slacker of the month fill-in. There you go. Tamil. Timily. Tamily. <laughs> <laughs> so what were um, you going to tell us about? Uh, George, I have uh, some information, some uh, cheap statistics that I gathered from the uh, Amateur Logic Soundcheck Net um, logs of late from the number net number 100 for all of those who uh, uh, checked in. In fact, uh, my cheap count says there were 82 check-ins with the Tom provided 55 unique chickens statistic. Thank you for the unique chickens statistic, Tom. And <laughs> we, uh, we had uh, lots of... Uh, competition friendly friendly fire competition between the uh what we call experts of multiple check-ins multiple modes and lots of people checking in with this uh, i just i love that net i love hearing from the people um you know talking to them and and the, the topics and the questions that we all go through seems to promote a lot of thoughts and you'll learn a lot of ideas from people especially like some of you pros over there professor um about all kind of topics. So check out that net, and there's the cheap statistics. 88, uh, I forget the runtime. The The runtime was pretty long, too. I think we uh, wound up going a couple of hours, all the way to 11.50 uh, p.m., almost midnight uh, central time. So I don't know if that's the record or not, but uh, fun times, right, George? Uh, fun times for sure, and, yes, it did run kind of late. Let's see, 8 to 9, 10, 11, 12, or a little more than two hours. Uh, it was a, uh, it was a very Past long one in the morning for me. Yeah, it was uh, quite a long net, and uh, we appreciate Jeff and Amanda being the net controls this past week. They did a great job as they always do. Well, let's get on into the segments tonight because we've got, well, we've got an extra one down here later, but this first one is something that well. I don't guess I need to say anything about it. I think it sets itself up, so have a look. Back in the mid-1970s, Radio Shack had an item in their catalog called the Surprise Package. I and just about everyone else in my electronics class at college bought one or more of these. They had a lot of parts in them and a lot of things you wouldn't think would be in there. I can remember there being a variety of switches, some VU meters, uh, assorted components, transformers, a little bit of everything in there. As a matter of fact, I still have a few of the parts today. However, I did use a lot of them over the years, certainly more than I paid for them. According to the 1976 catalog, this was six pounds of value for $2.99. My memory wants to tell me that we paid a lot more than that for these, but I really don't remember. $3 was probably worth a lot more back then than it is today. I sure wish you could get these now because certainly I'd buy some of them. Well, you can't. However, there is something similar available today. Jamaco Electronics, who I've shopped with for years and still occasionally buy stuff from, has what they call grab bag packages. 
There's a number of different price packages they have. I placed an order a couple of weeks ago, and I needed a few extra items just to kind of fill out the order, so I decided to try one of these grab bags. This is the $9.95 one right here. The Jamico Value Pack Grab Bag Hundreds of Miscellaneous Electronic Components. Well, I can see right there from the outside, there's a variety of capacitors in here, some potentiometers. I don't know if that's a chip. Probably is. Some tantalum capacitors, electrolytics. Let's open it up and see what we've got. Well, that's a lot of parts for 10 bucks, but let's see if we think we got our money's worth. At first glance, oh, I think that's a buzzer. 24 volt DC, there is a plus and a minus pin here on the back of it, and it looks like, I don't know, I guess I'm going to have to do a little research to be for sure, but that's got vents in it, so I'm thinking maybe that's a little beeper or a speaker or something. I don't really know. Of course, we got some electrolytic capacitors. 6.3 volts, 2200 microfarads, 2200 at 50 volts. And this is a Nichicon. That's a, that's a good grade capacitor there. 100 microfarads at 200 volts couple of those in there. Those are the larger ones. There's a, some smaller ones in here as well. A number of different ones. There's a lot of ceramic capacitors in here as well. A lot of 2 kilovolt ones here. Some kind of connector, or actually the shell for a connector, that's probably not going to be very useful there. Speaker wire terminals. Toggle switch, 500k ohm alpha potentiometer. I think this is the brand Radio Shack used to sell as well. I've seen a lot of those over the years. These look like a little better grade here. They feel a little heavier. Short shaft. Have to use a screwdriver to adjust that. Looks like a hundred k. There's three of those in here. These probably cost a little bit. 15 microfarads at 500 volts. A chassis mount RCA connector. Little PC board mount potentiometer. Uh, another one. Couple of LEDs made to go on a PC board. Another LED made to mount on a PC board. A TIP125 transistor. BYW20E, I don't know what that is. Two legs on it, probably some kind of diode maybe. Some type of five-legged chip. Not sure what that's about. 10K ohm resistor pack. Some kind of plastic something or another. Another small PC board mount potentiometer. A crystal. This is a little... Uh, PC board 
speaker or beeper. That's a 12-volt coil Omron relay. Uh, multiple contacts on it probably cost a little bit. Looks like that must be a rectifier. Another PC board potentiometer. It's like, uh, I don't know, maybe one side of a PC board mount fuse holder. Several more of those uh, little small potentiometers. 32 megahertz oscillator. A little terminal strip without the other side that goes in it, so that's probably not going to be useful. Another toggle switch. Screw terminals for PC board mount. Another little capacitor. Another capacitor. Another one. MJE15031. Another LED. Some more small capacitors. Another toggle switch. I don't know how many pins that is. I'm not going to count it right now, but a dip socket. Another chassis mount LED. Another one of those resistor packs. Another one. This says 32 megahertz, so maybe it's some type of oscillator. Some type of little transistor. A telephone connector. More capacitors. Another rectifier. More of the little pots. The other side of the fuse holder. Some kind of surface mount switch, maybe. I'm not sure what that is. A lot of ceramic capacitors in here. An 8 megahertz crystal. A 7-segment LED display. Another connector. Another dip socket. Another dip socket. More capacitors. Another connector of some type. Another RCA PC board mount connector. It's a lot of small signal transistors in here. MPS 6505 on that one. 4355. It's like a high quality one microfarad at 50 volt. A few little surface mount components in here. And I assume this is all stuff that they just had left over that they couldn't sell. TIP 125. MJE 1503. Now, this is neat. It is a surface mount joystick of some description. Another seven segment display. A micro switch with a lever on it. This is a Omron brand. I had to buy some of these this week, not this exact one. They are kind of expensive now. This is a 50K ohm multi-term potentiometer. I'm guessing fairly high current based on its size. I don't know what that is, but that is some type of surface mount semiconductor. There's a lot of legs on it. I will probably never use that. 
Most of these other items are the same that we've already seen, which is mostly a variety of capacitors there and some very small components. So is it worth it? I don't know. You'll have to decide for yourself. After loosely sorting this stuff and throwing away a few items that I know for certain I won't use, I'm sure there's more here as I go through to put it in the parts bins. This is what we've got. Potentiometers, ceramic disc capacitors, silver mica, electrolytics, some uh, polystyrene, different types, few connectors, some of whatever these are. I'm going to figure that out. A handful of PC board mount LEDs, few semiconductors, some switches, some IC sockets, some resistor packs. Looks like three of those seven-segment LEDs there. A couple of relays. Yeah, that's probably 10 bucks worth to me. I don't expect I'll be buying another one right away. Maybe in a few years after the assortment's changed up a little bit. I remember those surprise packs at Radio Shack. I think they were nine ninety nine, at least in up in here in Canada. Yeah, I think they were at least that much. I, I don't remember them being two ninety five. So, I don't know how that price was in the catalog, but there was a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, a lot of good stuff. A number of power transformers that I used for uh, repairing different things. A lot of switches, just VU meters, stuff you wouldn't expect. Um, exactly. Um, yeah, and and. I might be dating myself, but in order to build up what was referred to as, I don't know, do people still uh, make a junk box with assorted parts? Um, uh, when I was a kid, I had a I had a family friend that used to give me all kinds of radios and stuff. I used to just salvage them for the parts, and they'd go into a box, and that'd be my uh, junk box. And uh, certainly, if you're looking to build up your junk box, that's a good way to go to go with the. Uh, uh, the J uh, was it Jan- Jamico? Yeah. Uh, surprise pack. Um, Did you use a propane torch to get the parts off, Mike? <laughs> What's that? Did you use a propane torch to get the parts off no. the radios? No, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> use a Jimmy method. Um, I used a good old uh, soldering iron, and I don't even think I had a desoldering tool at the time, so. What I would do is uh, most of the components I was dealing with had two leads, so you heat it up one side and then you heat up the other side really quickly, and then you grab it and pull it out of the board. But uh, yeah. no pro- propane torches were harmed in in my salvage- salvaging. George, that um, that joystick pieces part you were talking about that looks like the the mouse on the center of the keyboard of a laptop. It looked like it could have been. Yeah, I think oh, the touch that's what it looked the like. The touch point? Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the little eraser that they put yeah. on it. I never pull the eraser off one to look, but that's, yeah, very likely that's what that was. Uh, when so, I was working at a, at a Radio Shack store, those those surprise packs got to be so popular, we couldn't keep them in stock, so the store manager used to make up his own and put them in the paper bags. <laughs> yeah. And they used to they used to sell like hotcakes, but... Um, Oh, yeah. You know, looking at you sort through those electrolytic capacitors, um, maybe I shouldn't tell a story. Or maybe I should. Anyway, 
I don't know if you recall, I think it was the first year I met you and Tommy at Hamvention that um, I decided that uh, I thought it would be a good idea. They had a lot of these large uh, computer-grade electrolytic capacitors, and I think maybe I, I challenged you to, uh, to take one of those and, and blow it up on, a, on an episode by uh, reverse polarity, uh, but I, I never did do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, most of my parts I've loosely sorted. Uh, they're not all in one box, but I, I bought some uh, metal shelves from an electronics parts store that was going out of business several decades ago with a lot of little divider drawers and such in there. And I've got mine kind of kind of sorted. But there are parts in there that I use the method you talked about. You try to heat up both sides and pull it off real quick without burning your finger. There's a few parts like that still in there. And there's some parts in there that were out of that Radio Shack grab bag and our, our surprise package. And, yeah, me and everybody else in class bought those. And then we would, you'd end up getting duplicates. So we would swap parts, you know, and kind of uh, make sure everybody got what they needed and not too much of anything in particular. But some of these parts that we just looked at right there, I identified after I shot the video. This is the uh, the thing I said was a buzzer. It's a 24-volt beeper. And I just pulled out my variable power supply. I happen to have a, a home-built uh, 0.35 to 30-volt DC power supply there that I use for stuff like this. So I just said, heck, I'm going to put 24 volts on it and see. And, yeah, it beeps. It doesn't buzz. So not useful for ham college. Oh. Yeah. This this was a speaker, uh, so no surprise there. This little thing, that I said I didn't know what it was, but it was surface mount, and there were a lot of them in there. You can't push it with your finger, but... If you use a screwdriver or a paper clip or something, that does push down, and I measured it. It's, it's surface mount, but I measured it, and it is a momentary push-button switch, and I got a heap of those. So I don't know what I'll ever do with those, but I got a lot of them if I need them. You can, you can repair a lot of computer mice with those. Yeah. And this, I don't think I showed it uh, because... You know, naturally, I had to cut that video down. It was much longer when I shot it. This little dude right here. Any idea what that might be? Is that an electric condenser mic? That's kind of what I thought. A battery? Is it one of those vibrating motors for, like, the vibrator in a cell phone? You know, let's find out. I I thought maybe an electric mic... That's what it looked like, but there's no hole under that black thing, and that's not really a windscreen there. It's sort of rubberized. So I'll fire up the power supply here, and there's no voltage or, or any kind of markings on it. So I'm just going to guess, uh, maybe 5 volts sound good a mill, <laughs> cheap enough. This is not, is this a smoke device? Uh it could be. It no could be. What, we'll, we're going to find out. It's the lowest common denominator. In just a minute Smoke. it will be. Yeah. So, 
Here it is. Uh-oh. Tom is the man. Tom is the man. I would have never guessed that's what that was. I've seen some vibrators before, but I've never seen one that looked like that. Yeah, I, I've only seen the ones that look like a cylinder. Yeah, uh, or, yeah, me too. Yeah. They look like a, a little motor cool. with a, a knob on, right on the out around, yeah. yeah. So, anyway. You know, for nine ninety five, even if you only, I mean... If if you used a handful of things out of that bag, you got your money's worth. Oh yeah, depending on which one. Oh yeah, the, easily. Even, even the amusement value is worth nine ninety five. Yeah, I don't know. What kind email. of fun can you have for nine ninety five these days? Email. Does that pass the test? Um, I'm gonna have to see some fulfilled dreams instead of being a bag of unfulfilled dreams before I make that decision. On the on the ledger, George. Okay. Okay. So here's well. the challenge: you got to <laughs> buy one of those bags of parts and then make something useful using only the stuff that came in the bag. <laughs> and um, all of the stuff that's in the bag, you could make one heck of a Rube Goldberg machine with that. <laughs> yeah, I think I could build some things with what was in that bag. I know I could turn it on and off anyway because there were a lot of switches in there. So, uh, there you go. I'd say, yeah, it's worth it's worth ten bucks if you just want to kind of put some stuff in your parts bin. We're going to be back in just a moment. Don't go away because we got a lot more yet. The world famous R8 now has a big brother. This is the Kushcraft R9, a thirty-one point five foot, twenty-five pound vertical antenna that covers six through eighty meters. It is lightweight, low profile, blends into the sky, 1,500 watts, full SSB, CW. Easy to put up in a single afternoon, and you'll enjoy it when you got weather like this today. Big Brother R9 now includes 7580 meters for local rag chewing and world band, low band DX without radials. Its omnidirectional low angle radiation gives you exciting and easy DX on all nine bands, 7580, 40, 30, 20, 17, 15, 12, 10 and 6 meters with low SWR. QSY instantly. No antenna tuner needed. Use full 1500 watt sideband CW when the going gets tough to break through pileups and poor band conditions. The R9 is super easy to assemble. Installs just about anywhere and its low profile blends inconspicuously into the background in urban and country settings alike. It installs in an area about the size of a child's sandbox. No ground radials to bury with all RF energized surfaces safely out of reach. It's very rugged construction. It uses thick fiberglass insulators, all stainless steel hardware, and 6063 aircraft aluminum tubing. It's double or triple walled at key stress points to handle anything Mother Nature can dish out. It's 31.5 feet tall, 25 pounds. The mounting mast is 1.25 to 2 inches, and the wind surface area is 4 square feet. We also have the R8, which is the little brother, like the R9, but it, it does not have 75 and 80 meters. And this R8 TB tilt base lets you tilt your antenna up and down easily by yourself, so it's easy to work on. And we also have a three-point guide kit for high winds. We recommend if you mount it on the roof or any higher on a tower or something like that that you use the three-point guide kit, and that's R8GK. 
Thank you very much for tuning in to Amateur Logic. We appreciate it. MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at MFJEnterprises.com. Thanks, MFJ. And thanks, Richard Stubbs, for doing that um, announcement there. You know, if you've been to a ham fest anywhere in the last 20 years, you've probably seen Richard because he has been to a lot of them with MFJ. Yep, all the ones I've been to, he was there. Yeah. Mike, I think you had a topic you wanted to bring forward tonight and share with the group here. There was an article in The Verge, and um, I guess uh, it was reported that uh, Windows 11 File Explorer, there was a user that had an ad or two pop up on a banner in Windows Explorer, and apparently that was not supposed to happen. It begs the question whether or not that's going to be an upcoming thing, uh, an undocumented feature that Windows 11 is going to have. We're now going to see ads in a banner on Windows File Explorer. So we'll have to wait and see. But I thought that was kind of interesting, as if we didn't have enough ads as it is. And I, I can imagine the kind of backlash that Microsoft's going to get over that. Just happened, and I didn't know you were going to be um, showing that tonight, but I watched Windows Weekly earlier today with uh, Leo Laporte, Paul Therott, Mary Jo Foley. You know, they talk like for a couple of hours about whatever's going on with Windows and Microsoft in general. And that was something that Paul brought up. And they had a picture there that showed what it was. And it was just like a one line of text and a little X out there, I think, where you could close it. And it was something like, I don't know. It was like a, a Microsoft type of message. It wasn't a really a banner. It was just a single line of text, and it said like, and you've probably seen this. If you use Office 365, you may see a little message pop up every now and then that says, you know, check out um, the new feature for doing such and such and maybe a link you can click at it. You know, it's related to the product. So it's not like, uh, well, the example they were using there, it's not like they're selling Casper mattresses and uh, Windows Explorer, but uh, it seemed to be a Microsoft-related type of product announcement. But now they know the technology is there and it works. Who knows what we'll see there in the future. But uh, that's... That's what I learned about it today. So, yeah, I think you're right. There'll be a lot of backlash if... Um, I've been having my own kind of Windows 11 upgrade issues. Oh, you did it? Been, yeah, I have one one computer here here that uh, I guess meets the requirements. And in the Windows update, um, I keep getting this message that's saying Windows 11 is now available. And you have two options, stay on Windows 10 or go for the upgrade. So I I held my breath, I clicked on the button, and then it started to download, and then all of a sudden, um, I think it got up to about 6%, six, 6%, and then it, dis- it just disappeared with no message. And, okay, I clicked check for upgrades. Nope, it's not going to give me Windows 11. So <laughs> a couple days go by, and the same thing happens. This, this, this um, window pops up, says so uh, you're you're ready for windows 11 i click on the box again and it looks like it it managed to carry on from where it left off 
uh, in terms of the download, but um, same thing happened. It ran for a couple of minutes, and all of a sudden, it just disappeared. Uh, <laughs> and uh, checked Windows Update again, and nope, it wasn't there. So I'm not sure what's going on. They're just giving it to you a little bit at a time, Mike. One first at a time. Yeah, first taste is free. Free. Just like that. Right, there you go. You said the keyword, it's free. <laughs> just like that Johnny Cash hey. song. Yeah. One part, I one had piece a strange experience with it. I've got a couple different laptops here, and I got the same thing, Mike, with the little pop-up that, you know, this computer qualifies for Windows 11. Would you like to upgrade to Windows 11? And I said, no, thank you. And I have another laptop uh, that I use for um, some of my work, and I got a pop-up on that a couple days later that said, your computer needs to restart. You are upgrading to Windows 11. Would you like to do that right now, tonight, or tomorrow? There, no thank you was not an option. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, I only, one of my PCs has a message, your PC's ready for Windows 11. All the rest of them say it's not. This PC won't, won't run Windows 11. And I have not clicked on the button but it sounds like you didn't either tom no on the one and I, of course obviously it, it ran the update and i will it's been i've had it on that machine so i did the upgrade about a week ago and I, so far it seems to be fine i mean it you know it, there's a few look and feel differences about it all your icons on the taskbar on the bottom are centered now which okay whatever but um, at least everything's still functioning on it, so no major problems. Yeah, somebody will come out with a um, an app or a plugin or something that you can run on your PC at boot time, and it'll put everything back like it was to start with. You remember um, when? What was it? Was it Windows? Um, I had something like that for Windows Server 2005. Yeah, um, there was one version of Windows though. They took the uh, the the menu, the, the start off. menu out. Yeah, and then there was this add-on you could you could install yeah. and it put it back for you. Start seven was it seven? I guess. Or actually, you know, it would have been like a Windows eight, I think. Um, oh yeah, I think you're right. It was that's, that's eight. when all the uproar happened and people lost their minds. Um, and then there was the old, uh, the infamous charms bar um, that didn't really give you anything you wanted, and it was always getting in the way of other applications. So, <laughs> yeah, but, um, I, w I actually wasn't going to do the Windows 11 update, but uh, Tom Tommy Double Dog dared me, so I decided, what the heck? No, this computer didn't really have any applications on it, I and think I was just using it for the internet. I think he skipped that. He went straight for the triple dog dare, wasn't it? Oh, did he? Maybe yeah, it was a I triple dog was. dare. I don't know. I, I couldn't I couldn't refuse, you know, either a double dog dare or a triple dog dare. Yeah. It was serious. Yeah, I remember the night. Well, Tom, you have uh, taken a trip here recently. That you brought a little video along to share with us, didn't you? I did. Let's take a look at this. This is something I'm going to have to do sooner or later. 
Hi everyone, it's Tom, WA2IVD. Let's look at some highlights from QuartzFest 2022. If you're not familiar, QuartzFest is a week-long ham fest near Quartzsite, Arizona. It occurs during the last week of January and is an ARRL specialty convention. It takes place in the desert on Bureau of Land Management, or BLM land. I decided to go this year since I haven't attended in about six years, and this year is their 25th anniversary. The last time I was there, we lived in Southern California, and it was about a six-hour drive. Now that we live in Kansas, it's a 20-plus hour trip. There is a lot of open land and a lot of scenery between Kansas and Arizona. When the pump stopped at this particular fill-up, it seemed pretty appropriate for heading to a ham fest. A little more than a day after I left, I finally made it. The fuel economy may not look great, but considering what I'm pulling, it's really not too bad. Let's take a quick look around. This is essentially Main Street at the Corpse Fest site. Once you get parked and settled, your first stop is usually the registration tent to sign in and to check the bulletin board for the latest schedule and other information. You'll find campers of every kind at QuartzFest, from tents to small pop-up campers to giant motorhomes with every amenity. I got a late start, so I didn't make the opening ceremony on Sunday. I did make it for Gordo's opening session on Monday. He provided a briefing on some of the latest happenings with the FCC and ARRL. ARRL is pushing the FCC saying, if you're going to take away our 3.4 ham radio band, or at least the lower half of the ham radio band, uh, we want you to consider a proposal that we gave you over four years ago. And that proposal was for technician class operators to be able to not only do CW in the CW portion of their band on 75 meters, 40 meters, 15 meters, and 10 meters, but to be able to do sideband as well as FT8 and some of the digital modes on uh, those portions of the band, limited to 200 watts, of which with FT8 you're going to be a lot less than 200 watts. Right, Randy? Yeah, you bet. Uh, in fact, Randy... Randy, K7AGE, had some pointers for FT8 operation and etiquette with so many people operating in close proximity. Got to be in the camera. Good morning, good morning. So how many get here on, on FT8? So how many hate FT8? <laughs> you can leave now. Uh, it's kind of really taken over. This summer, six meters uh, FT8 was... I mean, it just shut down sideband and CW, I think. So FT8, uh, what would be good if we all transmitted in the same time slot? Then we're not jamming each other out. So maybe we just all click in that, that first time period, and then we'll all transmit together. We won't blast each other out. Um, uh, let see, what else works good? Yeah, first and third, so go first on time. Oh, a lot of people don't understand the checkbox to hold your transmit frequency. In FT8, you really want to work split. 
And this is a, a new concept for a lot of the beginners. They don't understand it. Um, but what you can do... Every afternoon, there's a happy hour session with a recap of the day's activities and updates on any schedule changes for the rest of the week. They also hand out raffle tickets for a prize drawing each day. The raffle is completely free. Prizes are donated by numerous generous contributors. Chris, KR1SS, is the MC at Happy Hour. If you do have a unique solar installation you want to show off, there's a sign-up sheet over at the welcome tent. Go ahead and put your uh, name and phone number on that uh, call sign so Frank can get a hold of you. I think that's all I forgot. Oh, pet parade tomorrow night. Thank you. Boy, keep me on my toes. She's the main organizer for Quartzfest, and along with a group of volunteers, keeps everything on track. It is a huge undertaking to coordinate a full week's worth of speakers, volunteers, and activities out in the middle of the desert with no permanent facilities. Chris and the whole Quartzfest crew do a great job. This year, any sessions that required a projector were held in the evening. In the past, tents were used during the day, but having the evening sessions outside made social distancing a little bit easier. The Quartzfest Special Event Station, W7Q, operated for the entire week. Whiskey 7 Quebec, Special Event Station for Quartzfest at Quartzite, Arizona, calling CQ Special Event, CQ Special Event, Whiskey 7 Quebec, QRZ. The station was set up by the Northern Arizona DX Association. All attendees were allowed and encouraged to take a turn operating at the special event station if they wanted to. I met Terry, KE7GRV. He was camping near me, and he had some really unusual, low-profile mobile HF antennas. He was using them with a station at the back of his SUV. He built the antennas based on an article in QST from May of 2017. He had an antenna for each HF band. He said he's tested them against full-size dipoles and quarter-wave verticals, and they perform just as well. This is definitely on my future project list to try out. Some folks from the Amateur Television Network were on site. They set up a digital ATV transmitter at the main session area. It turns out that cable channel 58 falls in the 70-centimeter handband, so anyone with a television could watch some of the sessions from the comfort of their RV. One of the highlights of the week was the Hootenanny, when some of the more talented attendees entertained the rest of us. I can't possibly cover all of the events and activities in a short video. Suffice it to say that if you go to Quartzfest, you won't be bored. The one last highlight that I'll leave you with is a beautiful sunset every day, a roaring bonfire every night with good company and good conversation. And star-filled skies every night. Great video, Tom. Thanks for sharing that with us. 
I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It's uh, This is about the, I want to say the fourth or fifth time that I've been to Quartz Fest, and it's always a good time. I mean, it, it's kind of amazing that in the entire week, they've got something going on every day, all day. There's usually one, I'll call it sort of larger event or activity each day, but then there's like technical sessions and tech talks going on. They have three different session areas. They're not always busy all the time, but sometimes there'll be two or three talks going on simultaneously, which of course is a problem if you're interested in two of them, you gotta pick one. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's pretty amazing the amount of stuff that they have. And like I said, the entire week is busy. And if you saw on the list there, you know, and like with the Hootenanny thing, it's not all ham radio related, uh, but quite a bit of it is either uh, ham radio or technology. Um, so if you've got a, you know, spouse or significant other that may not be as interested in radio, there's other activities for them too. Well, looks like a really fun time to me. I, I want to try to make it out there one year. Uh, Emil, do you think uh, maybe we could hitch up the mule and ride out there one year? I don't know about the mule. Well, we might have to take a mule with the cost of fuel. Uh, <laughs> but the um, I tell you what, I'm I'm really liking that uh, shot you took of Orion there. I don't know if you took that or not, Tom. But uh, uh, the star-filled sky is enough to rope me in to that. Uh, I was talking to an Arizona station just the other day at an observation, an observatory in Arizona for a special event station they were having. And I, I would go just for that, just to see those skies every night, and just you know be with other uh, hams, et cetera. Oh yeah, if you have a, if, you know, if you're into amateur astronomy at all, uh, yes, that picture I took with my DSLR. That was a, uh, I want to say a 50 or 60 second exposure, just literally on a tripod out the front door of my trailer at about midnight or so. Wow. Well, nice. Yeah, looks like a great time, and I I know uh, I've got a lot of friends who've gone, and well, of course, Gordo, you know, has always talked real, real favorable. I about think he's it. been there since the beginning. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, um, one of these days, email you had something earlier you were chomping at the bit to tell us about. Do you want to share that now? I think I might. Um, uh, real, real quick though, before we do that, somebody's asking me what station. I think it was W7P. Uh, was the call sign of that? The Pluto anniversary special event was on the air recently on 15 meters. I caught their station, and he was telling me they actually have um, what is that? Uh, public telescopes, really good telescopes that they have a cover that rolls over it, goes back. I, I gotta remember the name of the observatory. I bet you somebody in the chat room knows. But anyway, the public can use these telescopes, huh. and they're really good ones. And they're covered; they're weather protected, and they just roll this cover out from over them and use them. So anyway, um, I'm sure somebody in the chat room will take it on. But anyway, here's what I have, George. Uh, the post is from David Telling Jr. That's KJ7WT. And he says, hey, all 10 and 15 were pretty uh, decent this afternoon, uh, 15 especially crowded in the uh, FT8 region, as Tom just mentioned. 
or, or uh, Randy, actually, it was Randy he was talking. But uh, he says, I've been wondering why so few ham has, uh, hams have discovered FT4 mode, which is twice as fast as FT8. Not quite as good as the uh, digging out the weaker signals, the uh, signal-to-noise ratios, but still pretty good. I found a few on 20 meters today and uh, made several contacts very quickly. Um, but 15 and 10, uh, not so much. So he said it would be great for more people to use this mode. And, George, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the, the WSJTX suite mm-hmm. has a whole bunch of different modes, and that's that's one of them. Um, FT8 takes eight seconds, right? That's why they call it that. FT4 is about four to make a contact back and forth. So, well, actually, it four in one direction. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm not up on the whole FT thing. For some reason, I have, I have not, uh, not jumped on that bandwagon yet. I need to. I need to try it out. I'm not against digital modes. I, I've used. A number of them. I just haven't really done much digital lately, but it sounds like um, next big event like Phil Day or whatever, I'm going to have to finally install a, that suite on my my laptop there. And, and Jerry, Jerry just answered the, uh, Jerry's in Arizona, he just answered the question about which observatory it was. It was the Lowell Observatory. Ah, and they were celebrating the discovery of Pluto in that special event station. And sure enough, I caught them on 15 meters, just like David was talking about. So those those higher bands are starting to open up pretty regularly now. I don't know if you've noticed that, George. Uh, yeah. And sunspot cycle coming back around. Things are looking up. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Well, don't go away. As we say, we're going to be back in just a moment. There's still more to go. Spring is just around the corner, and ICOM's new ID52A handheld is now shipping. The ID52A is an industry-first handheld that can send photos over the D-Star network. This radio is perfect for working your favorite bands inside the ham shack or venturing out. The ID52A is now shipping. ICOM's newest handheld amateur radio is a VHF-UHF dual bounder with D-Star and FM dual mode functions. This radio supports conventional FM communications and D-Star simplex, repeater, regional, and worldwide calls over the D-Star Internet Gateway. The ID52A is the first amateur radio with a full 2.3-inch waterfall display and can send photos over D-Star with a connected Android app. Other features include wideband receive with a guaranteed range of 144 to 148 and 440 to 450 megahertz. VHF, VHF, UHF, UHF, VHF, UHF with dual DV mode. Integrated GPS GLONASS receiver including grid square location, micro SD card slot, micro USB for data transfer, programming, or charge and it meets IPX7 waterproof standards. Learn more about this and all the great ICOM radios at icomamerica.com slash amateur. Thanks, ICOM, for sponsoring Amateur Logic. The ID-52, I didn't know it had a hover mode. Didn't know it had what? A hover mode? Oh, yes. I use it it's all the time. It's sort of floated right above the grass. Yeah, yeah. Works great for that, man. 
You know, that's not even in the spec. That's just, it was a firmware update. So, Mike, I know we've, or you in particular, have kind of been on uh, an OS taste test here for a while. And you've come across something else. Yeah, I think this is this is probably going to be my last one for a bit. I'm going to get more into the hardware projects after that. Of course, I've got the the big box of unfulfilled dreams, uh, where I don't even think the lid quite closes properly anymore. But um, anyway, um, this this uh, was a kind of a neat uh, a neat project, or I should say, a neat software image that I came across. It's called. Dragon OS Pi 64, and if you're a digital uh, mode enthusiast, you'll want to check this out uh, because it's just jam-packed with all kinds of digital uh, applications. Uh, some of them you know uh, that are pretty popular, like S SDR++. Uh, um, oh, geez, I'm drawing a blank now. There's there's quite a list. You'll see in the in the video. Um, there's a partial list in there, but um, Everything's kind of pre-installed, very uh, minimal that you have to do to get things working with your hardware. Um, I think only if you have the SDR Play, you have to do a couple of little extra steps. But if you've got one of those, uh, you were mentioning the, um, the, the the inexpensive, I think it was on the preview, you were, you were showing your uh, SDR Play uh, Duo that you purchased at Hamvention. But um, Tommy mentioned the $20 rtl sdr dongle you can use those as well with a lot of the software that's in this image so um well let's have a look dragon os out of the box os for sdrs okay let's head over to sourceforge and go to the sema executor project page using the url link or qr code here you'll find several Dragon OS projects. Dragon OS 10 is an out-of-the-box Debian Buster-based OS. Dragon OS Vocal, a Lubuntu 20.04-based x86-64 OS. Dragon OS LTS, a Lubuntu 18.04-based x86-64 OS. This last one is the one we're after. Click here to go to the download. Make note of the default username and password. It is suggested that you purge the SSH keys and running the SDR Play API installer located under Other. Here is a list of the included SDR applications. On this page, you'll find information on the Dragon OS Pi 64 activity and answers to issues. Click the green Download button to download the Dragon OS image file for the Pi 4B or Pi 400. Of course you'll need an SDR device such as the RTL SDR dongle or the equally popular SDR Play. An 8 gig or higher, class 10 or better micro USD card, a Raspberry Pi 400 or a Raspberry Pi 4 Model B, a USB mouse and keyboard if using a Raspberry Pi 4B, and lastly an HDMI monitor and suitable cable for your Pi. We'll be using the SD memory card formatter. Use the QR code link or simply Google SDR memory card formatter if you don't already have it. 
run the SD memory card formatter app, making sure that you have a micro SD card inserted, 8 gig or better, into your computer. Select Quick Format and give it a volume label. Press Format when ready. Now it's time to copy the Dragon OS image file that we downloaded earlier. I'll be using the official Raspberry Pi Imager app for this. You can find it at raspberrypi.com. Click Choose OS. Click Use Custom. Now browse to the location where you saved the Dragon OS Pi 64 image file. You do remember where you saved it to, don't you? And click Open. Click Choose Storage. Select your USD card. Finally, click the right button. Eject the micro USD card from your computer once it's finished writing. Ensure that the power is off on your Raspberry Pi, then insert the micro USD card into the Raspberry Pi. Dragon OS boot up. Okay, power up your Pi. You should see the Raspberry Pi rainbow appear on the HDMI monitor, followed by various text on the command line interface. Lastly, the desktop GUI appears with the user login prompt. Type in using the default username Ubuntu and enter the password Dragon. Click on the Getting Started page link and read it. Pay particular attention if using an SDR play. Okay, let's take a look at some SDR apps. But first, let's take care of some housekeeping. We do this by running sudo raspy-config. Let's enlarge the partition. We do this from raspy-config, advanced options, then expand file system. While we're at it, we may as well adjust the regional settings. Go to locale, then time zone, and adjust for your location. You will find most of the SDR apps under the ham radio folder. Simply select and click to launch. When running an app, be sure to select your SDR device. Well, that's all we have time for today. But uh, I hope that gives you enough of an overview so that you can get your own Dragon OS up and running with one of your SDR devices. So for now, 7.3 from VE3MIC. What else have you run on that? I've run the, um, uh, was it the um, WRT software on there? Um, there's also, uh, depending on what your hardware device is, um, if you have a Lime SDR, there's uh, the Lime software that's pre-installed on there. You can run that. Um, um, SDR++ is another one that I've uh, played around with, and I think many of, many of you out there have, have used uh, SDR++ before. Um, it's it's pretty, uh, pretty nice to be able to have an image that has all of those applications already pre-installed for you. Um, so it's it's basically kind of the Swiss, Swiss army knife of, of digital modes. Because um, I know we've we've talked about uh, WebFDR, and um, I think there was the, uh, I had my Adam Pluto out there uh, using um, um, the other software. Geez, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name right now, but um, some of the other uh, software packages, whereas uh, a lot of these software packages are, are part of the OS. So 
just a case of installing the image and um, and running it. Um, like I said, the only the only one that requires any type of additional steps is the SDR Play because it uses SOAPI, I believe, uh, for uh, hmm. for the communication with the device. Okay. Um, cool. Looks is interesting. The line- Oh, sorry. Is, there, is, is the Lime SDR mic? That's the one that can transmit and receive, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, just like uh, this Atom Pluto that I have is is also capable of transmitting as well. Cool. Well, thanks for that. I happen to have myself right here, and as far as I know, I could be wrong, but. The only email on tonight's show. Not email, email. Okay, all right. (laughs) This one comes from our friend Elliot, who, uh, K1MF, we get emails from him quite frequently in the night. I've got one that he sent. He says, George, I have a Yamaha stereo power amplifier. And the reason he's bringing this up is because I mentioned this little device uh, oh, last episode. If everything doesn't fall off of it, I've got clamped into it. Uh, this is the uh, Fish 8840. Uh, it's the one I've got, but it's a component tester. There's a lot of them out there. And they use a microcontroller on it pretty much. Same one that they use in a lot of Arduinos. But Elliot saw that, and he said he had an issue with that amplifier. He knew it was a capacitor causing it. And after opening it up and seeing all the capacitors, he thought it was going to take forever. Thankfully, he had a Dick Smith ESR meter. It's a kit, and... uh, after a few hours, it was up and running. So he says it saved him a lot of time measuring the ESR. While the capacitors were still in the circuit, it saved him so much time. The job was faster, less gray hair lost. Okay, Elliot. Well, you know, I'll have to agree. And as I'd mentioned before, we really didn't talk about ESR back in the day so much. You know, we just checked your capacitor and... You know, you you check to see uh, if it was the right value, and maybe if it was leaky, you might you know might have a leaky capacitor. But ESR really wasn't something that was discussed, I guess, in public circles, or uh, or anywhere for that matter, because all our old capacitor meters they didn't measure that. This is this is my old. Tenma brand here that I've had for I don't know 20 years at least it's a good little capacitor checker and it's what I've relied on and fixed a lot of stuff by using it well my Astron SS30M power supply quit on me several um, several months ago it just happened to be uh, during a QSO and I was using it with Ray Novak now I'm not blaming it on Ray I'm just saying that's the time that it went out. And I put the thing on the bench, and, man, I spent a lot of hours troubleshooting that thing, trying to figure out what was wrong with it. First, it's a switching power supply. 
So it doesn't, to me, make good sense how it even works to start with. But, you know, after doing a lot of studying and watching videos, I kind of see basically how it should work. And most of what's on the schematic, I could see, yeah, that's probably this part of the circuit. But I wasn't getting anywhere, and I was using my Tenma there, and I was checking capacitors, and most of them I was checking in circuit because it can do that. And you know when you check a capacitor in circuit, you might get the exact value that it is uh, showed up as capacitance, or you might not. You might get something sort of close to it. And I just wasn't finding any bad capacitors. I replaced all the... Uh, you know, the big filter caps in it and uh, the bridge rectifier, um, a few capacitors and just still was was not working for me. Wasn't doing any good. And I remember this old uh, Fish 8840 and I, you know, thought, well, I'll just pull that thing out and give it a shot. And I decided I'm going to check every capacitor in this thing and... If it doesn't measure right in circuit, I'm going to pull it out and measure them out of circuit. And you know, I found the problem and I fixed the power supply. This is a 10 microfarad capacitor. I don't know the voltage on that one right off. And I don't have my capacitor reading glasses on, but safe to say, you know, it's probably uh, 35, 50 volts, something in that range. 10 microfarad. Now, I checked it in circuit using my 10 millimeter here. Let's just check it real quick and see what it says. And if I can get the leads on that correct, it's measuring about 6.35 microfarads. Well, it's a 10 microfarad capacitor. I was measuring it in circuit, and I was saying, yeah, you know, 6 microfarads, I mean... That's not 10, but it's not that far off. You know, I'm probably just getting some some stray readings because it's in circuit. So I skipped right over it. But no, that's the culprit right there. So let's take a look at it with the, uh, the fish here. Clip it in here and run the test. It takes a moment. It's not super fast, but that won't matter in this case. And there we go. It is showing it's a 10 microfarad capacitor. So the capacitor is good. Except the ESR here is 0.14 K ohms. That's 140 ohms. So the equivalent series resistance on that capacitor is 140 ohms. Most of the other capacitors I checked in there were just like almost nothing in the zeros, you know, or decimal places. Some of them, you know, maybe got up one, two, three ohms. But that one, 140 ohms, that's a lot higher. And I said, hmm, the value's off a little bit, although, you know, the fish didn't show it was. It was still a 10 microfarad capacitor. But the ESR was a little higher. Swap that out. Man, that's what was wrong with my power supply. And I was about ready to chunk it, too, man. I had spent so many hours on that thing. And I didn't want to get rid of it because it was a good supply. 
when it was working. I had had it for a long time, so little uh, transistorized component tester here. Well, they call it a transistor checker. Just a little component tester. You can't find these now. The Fish 8840, I don't think the guy who's doing that is there anymore. But there's a lot of others out there. And there's uh, schematics out there. I believe it was uh, a German guy who came up with the sketch and, you know, published it. And then people made modifications, variations of it. You can find uh, component testers like this online from Amazon and just about uh, everywhere. AliExpress, uh, Banggood, uh, they're all over the place. I'd suggest maybe, maybe you'd get some use out of one of those. It does um, I, so many things. I picked one of those up at uh, the Huntsville Ham Fest, and it it looks pretty much just like yours. It's got the little you know uh, IC socket for mm-hmm. the connections, but. I have to go back and double check. I don't think mine reads out ESR for the capacitance. It shows the little capacitor symbol like yours does, but I think it just gives you the capacitance. Yeah, maybe maybe go back and check. I don't know. Um, you know, I've never never really checked ESR because I didn't have anything that would do it until I got this. And I would yeah, say, and that's important. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, we used to not pay any attention to it, but especially on these switching circuits, uh, man, it'll kill it. And so I didn't buy that. Someone gave that to me. They gave one to me and one to Tommy. And I can't remember who it was right now, but uh, certainly I appreciate that. And even if I bought the thing, you know, these are in the neighborhood of $20, sometimes a little, little more, a little less than that. But it was easily would have been worth that for just this one repair. Uh, What's the symptoms? What was the symptoms on the power supply again? The symptoms on the power supply is it was working, and then all of a sudden it quit working, and the voltmeter was just swinging crazy all over the place. And my rig was not liking that, you know, swinging anywhere from, (laughs) you know, like 4 volts to 20 volts. You know, it just wasn't, wasn't carrying much for that. All right. And sometimes I would power it up and it would come up to like 4 volts. Sometimes maybe it would come right up to 13.8 volts for just a minute. You put a load on it. Power uh, circuit in that um, Astron power supply? I don't know if there was a crowbar in it or not, Mike. It's a switcher. Um, Oh, it's a switcher, yeah. yeah. Probably not. Yeah. What were you saying, Tom? KA9SZX in the chat room is asking if you got the replacement cap from that grab bag of uh, Jamaco <laughs> parts. No, no. Even if there had been one in the Jamaco parts, I probably wouldn't have used it in, in this, knowing now how critical it was. I I used a, a pretty good grade capacitor. I, I keep a lot of electrolytics because I use them uh, for different things I have to do at work, so... It was probably a Panasonic uh, brand low ESR capacitor that I put in there. Uh, George, you know that um, Radio Shack uh, analog multimeter you've got? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think I have the same model, and I I use that a lot to find uh, 
leaky capacitors. So if you put the um, the multimeter on the uh, high one of the high ranges on resistance, mm-hmm. you could see the capacitor charge up. And if it was leaky, uh, once it got to almost a f- infinity, it would start the needle would start to drop back down if mm-hmm. it was leaky. Yeah, um, a lot of bad capacitors that way. Well, yeah, I found a lot of uh, leaky ones before. You know that they're bad as well, but that's two different things. A leaky capacitor and one with high ESR are just almost the opposite. ESR equivalent series resistance. That means like a resistor in series with the capacitor. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I'm not sure what causes that. Um, I think it's usually what happens with the capacitors, at least, at least electrolytics. They, the electrolyte dries out in them, and mm-hmm. you'd think the resistance would go up over time as they dry out, but uh, that's not the case in this in this case. Yeah, so a leaky one's like a resistor in parallel with the capacitor, and that's that's not good either. And uh, yeah, I, what I have read, and I don't know if it's the case, but you know the capacitor's got leads on them, and they have to go inside there. And they connect to the foil or or whatever it is, the plates of the capacitor. And that junction right there gets, uh, I don't know, weak or maybe a little corrosion or something not just perfect there. So it builds up a little resistance. That's what I've read. I don't know. Any of y'all got any um, any knowledge on that? I, I don't. I was about to ask you if what did the good one read? What does it normally read? Hardly the, anything, or what? The good one was less than an ohm. Yeah. It was probably like point oh oh three or something, I think. So uh, what I had read is just a few ohms is okay, but if it started uh, approaching 100 ohms, that uh, is definitely, you know, an issue. But uh, I don't know how high this one was. When it gave up the ghost, I just know it was at 140 ohms. And as I say, my power supply and my rig both weren't happy that way. So, Anyway, just something to keep in mind. You might want to check ESR on capacitors if you're old school like me. And normally all you do is just check the capacitance and, and maybe the leakage on it. Um, ESR can be an important thing. Just a little safety tip, too. Um, always check the schematic and replace with the, not only the same voltage or higher, but um, you have to pay attention to that ESR too because um, I used to repair the odd computer monitor and it called for a, a very low ESR capacitor. And I just happened to have one in the, uh, in the parts bin and I threw it in there and it lasted about 10 seconds before it blew up. Um, and the value was right, <laughs> and that it wasn't that that the um, the capacitance value was incorrect, or even the voltage value it was correct, but the ESR was was not correct, and it and it, uh, it it started to hiss, and then all of a sudden, pop, and then there was this kind of little explosion with bits of paper flying in the room. Another wow. parameter that's also very important in high power circuits on capacitors is the ripple current rating. Yeah. They're, they're yes. rated for a certain amount of ripple current and if you've got, depending on where it is in the circuit, if it's seeing a lot of AC current or ripple current 
if the cap's not rated for it, you'll blow it up. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot more. It's just a, a 10 microfarad is not a 10 microfarad alone. There's there's all these other factors in there as well, or uh, or any of them. And you get up into the really tiny capacitors, and then, you know, the difference between, say, using um, a silver mica or a ceramic disc or huge, you both may have both, you know, the same value, but... Uh, they will not interchange for each other. Different capacitors for different jobs. We've got one more video tonight. This is from, well, it comes from Dean Martin. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, Tommy, <laughs> who's not with us tonight. We're going to come right back and look at it. But, well, first, yeah, I think maybe... Um, there is Dean Martin here. At the end of each month, it's Amateur Logic's Ham College, the new show for those new to the hobby and those wanting to get into amateur radio. Which of the following is a purpose of the amateur radio service as stated in the FCC rules and regulations? That inductor and capacitor form a tuned circuit. That's how you tune the radio to the frequency that you want. The English language. We lived in town. I liked it. I, I listened to mine a lot. It was really cool because you didn't have to have a battery to power yeah. them. There's our homemade telegraph station. We can use it for long-distance communications. Oh, like, uh, what, three feet yeah, here? across the table. The answer is B. Voltage was named after Italian physicist Alessandro Volta. We can see we're generating a little bit of electricity there. It's DC. It's always great to go back and get a refresher. It well, sure is. A lot of that stuff, if you've been a ham for a while like we have, you, you don't really think about a lot of that stuff that often. They didn't have electric screwdrivers in those days, so that's why we're not using ones. That's why we went primitive with it. Yeah. So let's see if we can hear anything when we, uh, we fire off our spark gap transmitter. Well, we didn't build anything or blow up anything today, but... Um, the night's still young. And, you know, we looked a little younger there as well. That's, uh, you, know, you know, George, that spark gap uh, transmitter, that, could, that would make a mighty fine buzzer in Ham College. You know, I think it would. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'd be perfect. The yeah, thing, we are on the extra course, right? True, yeah. <laughs> well, Tommy has, uh, you know, he's been on a uh, on sort of a battery and a power supply kick here for a while. He's he's been getting into that technology and learning uh, different tools and tricks that you could use. He found another board. It's got a lot of good features on it tonight. Inexpensive. He, so that you got that going for it, Emil. So he wanted to share it with us. Let's take a look. This month I thought I would share a board I ran across. I actually bought one. It was about $9 when I bought it. It looks like the prices have gone up a little bit, but not too much. Uh, but anyway, it's a B3603 step-down power board. It's adjustable. It's digital. And... It also will limit your current. Uh, it works from 36 volts all the way down. And it's really pretty nice board for nine bucks. 
I was going to initially use it to charge my LifePo 4 battery I made because I needed to be able to adjust the voltage and I also needed to be able to limit the current. So uh, anyway, I bought this. It took a while to come in, but before it came in, I got to thinking about how long at 3 amps it would take me to charge a 50 amp battery. And I went ahead and I bought a 10 amp supply. Um, but nevertheless, it's a cool board and it's useful for a lot of projects. I thought some of you guys might be interested in it. I went ahead and I put this little coaxial plug on here just so I could plug it up to my battery and to my power supply easily. And I put these little leads on to be able to clamp some things on. For our test today, I'm going to use this light bulb that I had to drain my other batteries. And I'm going to hold it in place with this little uh, vise that I 3D printed. Just to keep it from scorching my work desk. So I'll set this out of the way. Let's go ahead and hook it up. We'll hook the positive up here. The negative up here. And for our power, I'm going to just power it from my power supply. But you can power it up from any DC, any source, DC source. So I'll turn it on. You can see it's set to 12 volts. It's it's really a lot of functionality in here, uh, and it's and it's pretty accurate. So it's set to output 12 volts. It's not outputting anything right now. So let's use my little voltmeter here, and we'll check that. Nothing. If I hit this button on the right, the OK button, it'll go ahead and it'll power up. You can see my light came on, and it's putting out 11.98 volts. And I can confirm that accuracy of that the same way. It says 12.01. It's a little bit difficult to uh, to measure this on camera. If you t hit this OK button again, you can see that this light is drawing 2.55 uh, amps of power right now. You can adjust that by hitting these up and down buttons. So th that one goes down. We'll hold it down. It was all the way up to 3. The lights show that it's outputting some power. This light also shows that it's doing constant voltage, which is right at 12 volts, which is what I set it to. To change the voltage, we just need to pay attention to which one of these are set. There's not really an indicator to which one you're looking at, but if you, you know this is 12 volts. And the decimal indicator right here is going to be in the middle for voltage, but it'll be over to the left side for current. So let's go ahead and lower it down. We can see it's lowering it down and the light bulb is getting dimmer. We'll lower, raise it back up to about 12. Still on constant voltage. So let's tap this button to go to see the, the amps. That light bulb at 12 volts draws 2.5 amps of current. Let's lower that. Once we get down below what it's calling for, this should change over to constant current instead of constant voltage. And there it did. It wanted more current, but we're limiting it now, and it's being limited. You can tell by the light right there. So it's pretty neat. Uh, it's a real cheap power supply. The one thing about it is it gets that little heat sink gets pretty hot if you run it very long at these higher current levels. But it will, like I said, go up to 3 amps and 36 volts. I'm feeding it with about 16 volts from my power supply at the moment. 
It's got some cool functionality built in too. Um, it can read the amount of wattage and how many amps hours it's uh, consuming. So if we turn the power off, hold down the OK button and turn it on, it'll cycle through a menu. There's three settings, 0, 1, and 2. If I t 0 change to yes, that means as soon as the thing gets powered from the outside, it's, it's going to automatically start delivering power. It does remember the settings that we had, so when we take power away from it, you don't have to worry about it putting out too many volts or too many amps. So it does remember that. So let's turn it off. I'm going to put it back. I, I'll, I like it back on uh, to where I have to actually do it myself. So now I'll turn the power off, turn it back on, and you see it didn't initiate the, uh, the output. The other function it's got which is pretty cool if you hold down the power button and go to once it gets to one let go toggles it to yes when it's on you can toggle through the voltage the current the watts so if you do the math from the, the volts and the current you'll see that comes up to 30 and a half watts of power and then the amount of milliamp hours it's consuming as well if you want to cycle through those let's do the other menu option so we'll hold down the power button Hit that with that two will change it and it's sitting on 12 volts we can turn it on it's, now it shows the current the volts the current the watts and the amount of power that it's consuming and it'll cycle through those so you don't have to hit the button to toggle I, I don't really like it like that so I usually leave that off One, two and it's back to no. But I do like uh, to be able to toggle through them if I want to. It's a cool little power board. For the price, $9 and some change. That was including the shipping when I bought it. It's gone up a little, like I said. Uh, Amazon's quite a bit higher. I got mine off of eBay. Um, but for the functionality, up to 36 volts and lower, uh, up to 3 amps of current, and being able to limit the current or the voltage, or the current and the voltage. And uh, anyway, I don't think you can go wrong with it. If you don't have a good bench power supply, it's a nice little cheap alternative. So I think some of you guys will probably find some good use out of this thing. 73. That was pretty cool. The I wonder when he put it in the energy mode where it was starting to count up, I wonder if that was watt hours or watt probably watt hours i'm thinking or maybe watt seconds and eh, probably be counting a lot faster for that yeah yeah i don't know good good question um yeah he's he's been spending a lot of time on uh on power lately and i'm going to direct all my power questions toward tommy because <laughs> i know He's probably more up on things than I am right now, especially with what's out there on the market on the cheap for for building your own stuff. Speaking so. of cheap, I remember there was something about power and tuning an amplifier, and then everything went dark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Mike. Yep. Yeah, I kind of remember that, too. So... It's been a fun show tonight. 
Uh, we appreciate Tom joining us and, uh, well, sharing Quartz Fest with us. That looks like uh, a really fun time. And it's always good to see you, Tom, and you're one of our net controls on the Amateur Logic Soundcheck net, which, by the way, is every Tuesday night, if you've got a radio or or maybe more than one radio with different modes on it, you might want to check out the Amateur Logic Soundcheck net. Now, apparently I did not update my uh, slide right here because it's at 8 p.m. Central every Tuesday night, but now that we're in daylight savings time, it's at 0100 UTC. Now, you know, I believe... There is action going on up in Washington right now to freeze us on daylight savings time. And I, then there I would, read that too. There would be no confusion on these still frames. Then I would just have one that said 0100 UTC on it. But we've got a lot of different modes. You can check in with Echo Link, All Star, D Star, DMR, Brandmeister, or TGIF, Hamshack Hotline, Yezu System Fusion, Wires X, P25. NXDN, M17, and Spark Gap. No, you can't, can't really do Spark Gap yet. Spark but, Gap uh, mode. Yeah. We're, we're looking for a way. Yeah, that's a, real, that's a, little, a real hot spot. That's a range about uh, three feet. Uh, spark Gap. That one, no, the, the three feet, that was the 433 megahertz. Um, uh, receiver and transmitter boards that I had. That spark gap there, I'm going to guess that thing would probably go 10 feet. <laughs> it was pretty pretty nasty. And on all frequencies. On all frequencies, yes. There was no uh, um, tank circuit on that or any kind of tuned circuit on ours, which normally you'd have in a spark gap, but... Uh, doesn't right. matter how selective your receiver is. Wherever you're at, it's going to hear it. Yeah, that's right. Give the Russian woodpecker a run for its money. Yeah, there's <laughs> one operating somewhere in my neighborhood here. I just don't know where it is. I wish I did because kind of interferes with my HF enjoyment. Speaking speaking more of that uh, legislation that's being proposed right now to stay on daylight savings time. Could you imagine the confusion if uh, Canada didn't follow suit? That's what I was just wondering, yeah. Um, what happened? I, is there any talk up there yet on it? I guess just wait and see. No need to talk about it if if we're not all going to do it. I wonder what Arizona will do, because they're permanently not on daylight savings time. Oh. Wow. Yeah, they we don't ha- change. We have- some of that too and uh, what I read at least up here in Canada it's up to the municipality I always thought it was kind of a province thing um, but it's not apparently uh, there are some cities that that are unique hmm. uh, so to speak uh, when it comes to the uh, time change so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out you know it doesn't matter, George, in the country of New Orleans. We'll find a reason for a party. If yeah. it's going to be a time zone change party, that's what's going to happen in the country of New Orleans. Yeah. It really doesn't matter what time it is, does it? <laughs> we'll find a way to eat, find a way to party, you name it. Yep. 
<laughs> well, once again, thanks for being here, Tom. We we really appreciate you joining us tonight. And all you do, um, you know, when you and Marty run the sound check nets. Well, I'm always honored to be invited on the show, and uh, glad I could. Can't I can't fill Tommy's shoes, but I'm glad I could stand in for him tonight. Well, sit in, I guess. You you did a good job, and let me say your um, your Starlink internet's held in there pretty good tonight. It's been pretty solid throughout the show here. Yep. Well, good. Yeah. I do miss being on Google Fiber, but oh well. Well, yeah, I could see uh, maybe a little difference between the two there. couple of things to mention on the way out the door is if you want to catch up with us during the month, find out what's going on. We've got our social networks out there where you can join our group at facebook.com or you can follow us at Amateurlogic on Twitter or we've got a MeWe group or we've got a groups.io group. So any of those methods, if you'd like to check with us and See what's going on through the month and uh, maybe share some projects or tips or uh, whatever, you know. Join us there. And with that, I guess we'll go around one more time and just see if anyone's got any closing comments for tonight. Uh, Back up to the top of the stack, Mike. Yeah, I do. Actually, I was drawing a blank, but um, speaking more of the... um a Dragon OS Pi 64, um, FL Digi's on there as well. Um, pretty much you name a, a digital uh, software application, it's probably on there. And one other thing I wanted to mention is that image is being constantly updated. I think I'm probably uh, four versions behind now since I did that video. Um, so it's uh, it's worth checking out. Oh, wow. Four versions. That That could be a lot of changes. Uh, email slacker of the month. Now's your chance to come in and totally redeem yourself. <laughs> All right, George. Yeah, I um, you know, going back a little bit about the um, the net, the uh, sound check net. Man, if you if you're not a part of that yet, or you haven't figured out how to connect to that thing yet. Between the topics of discussion and everybody's responses, the what the heck is it picture, trying to figure it out what that is and uh, having people taking some pretty funny shots at it. And uh, the two for, you know, the experts or the uh, checking in with multi-modes and the competition, man, I'm telling you, that's, that's got to be one of the most fun nets I think I've ever been a part of. So... Get in there. That's what I'm going to say. I love hearing from everybody in there, and I love doing it, too, and uh, having all the net controls like Tom and uh, Marty and everybody else who does it. So get in there. Yep. Tom, have you got any? Speaking of the – sorry, sorry, George. Uh, Speaking of the um, the, uh, 100 uh, uh, net – uh, the certificates are generated, and we just need to start mailing those out. Emailing. He's emailing. Sorry, emailing. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Meals doing all the certificates? No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Come on, Tom. <laughs> Mike, you you started this, Mike. I told. 
I told him he could lick the envelopes in the stamps. <laughs> yeah. Tom, have you got anything you'd like to share on the way out the door tonight? Oh, just thanks for having me on. It's always a ball, and I'll second what Emil said about the soundcheck net. It is a lot of fun. Um, I I went back and looked through the logs from this year, and this Tuesday we had, I think we had a little more than double the normal number of check-ins. So we did get a bunch of people that joined for the 100th, so that was cool. So all of those people can join for uh, some other ones, and... Uh, I think in all the modes, I think it was on your sheet, but also FM. But you got to be in in one of, in the vicinity of one of the repeaters somewhere. Although actually, I guess if you've got a, a, a D Star or if you got an FM repeater that can link to Echo Link, actually you can check in on any repeater that can connect to Echo Link too. But well, uh, it's a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to getting into some of the spring outdoor projects and hopefully have some more time to play radio here. Cool. Yeah, I I am hoping for the same on that. And you're right. If, uh, if you've got a repeater with Echo Link on it, just connect in uh, yourself. We've got uh, two or three different uh, nodes that you can connect on. And we're about to have one more D-Star uh, repeater here that you could check in on it. Uh, we're still in the process of putting it all together, but uh, we have a call sign. We've gotten that far now. Uh, look for soon W5AXC coming on the air here in the Jackson, Mississippi area. It's going to be one of the uh, new ICOM D-Star repeaters that it also does analog. So it'll do uh, both modes there, and we hope to have that on the air very soon. And, of course... We'll link it in on the nets as well. Well, with that, I'm going to say uh, we really appreciate everyone joining us and uh, all the people over there in the chat room. I haven't said a lot in the chat room tonight, but I've had my good eye over there, you know, keeping a watch on what's going on in there. So You uh, better watch that eye. They'll put that eye out. Oh, they will. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. You know, good weather's coming. It's time to go outdoors and do some things. And join us at the end of the month. Dean Martin and myself will be here for the next Ham College where we're studying for the amateur extra exam. Uh, there's quite a bit of study going on. Last time, we're proud to say we had uh, two buzzers on there. Uh, yeah, I think Tommy missed one and I missed one. Questions are getting tougher. So I don't remember any of most of these that are that are on here right now. So maybe they've added some since I took my exam. Alright. 7-3 everyone. Thanks for being here. And we'll see you uh, around the middle of April. 7 3 everybody. 7-3.
guess maybe that is a buzzer. Um, let's see, which one we want to do first? Yeah, I have a post from uh, KJ7WT. Yeah, well, naturally, uh, that's the one we'll do later. So, uh, Okay, just, in that case. Mike, I think you had a topic you wanted to bring forward tonight and share with the group here. I do, and that's uh, this one's in particular for all the digital enthusiasts out there. Um, oh, sorry. Wrong one. <laughs> Oops. Much easier to do when you're not trying to do it on camera, but. Is that a capacitor meter or a coordination meter? Uh, obviously not coordination. 